Good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads on what is a beautiful Sunday. We're excited that you're here. Excited to see some faces I have not seen in a while. See, it's been a little tore up. <laughs> but anyway, I'm glad you're here. And I want to welcome those who are online joining us live on Facebook Live. And let me just say, as I say every Sunday, we are so delighted and so excited that you have taken time out of your schedule, even at home, to join us here. And what I ask you to do each week, and again, I know it kind of varies depending on who's watching, share the service from our Facebook to your page, and again, your personal page. So again, this morning, you can do that. You can actually do that here if you're in the auditorium. Pick up your phone. This is the one excuse I will give you. And look at your phone, look at your Facebook page, and share that or from our, our Facebook page over to your Facebook page because it just multiplies the people that are exposed to the service today and throughout the week. It multiplies that exponentially where more people get to see it and get to experience what we're experiencing here on Sundays. So again, we're excited that you're here. Many of you are probably not going to remember a statement that I made, but it was several weeks ago. It was during one of the messages I said, I feel like God is doing some pruning in my life. Again, you're probably not, you know, sometimes I say, say things and they go right by you or over your head or you're, you know, on your phone or you're doing something else and you're not paying attention. Uh, but I said that. I said, I think God is doing some pruning in my life. And again, I, I don't think you really understand, but one of the things that I believe that God wanted to prune in my life were, were my attempts to further my self-worth outwardly externally so that I got the approval or won the approval of other people. That's, I just think God is trying to prune that. I mean, I just have felt that over the last several weeks. You know, many of us in this auditorium, some of those watching online, we, we do things in order to win the approval of other, of other people. And, and I'm going to tell you this morning that I think for me to try to do things that win the approval of other people that honestly, that, that can be something that impacts my ministry in what I would say is a, a really embarrassing way. And because of that, because of that very thing, I've had to be careful. I, I've had to be careful not to be tempted. Tempted to preach messages that make me sound like a better husband, like a better person, like a better father than I actually am. Because I'm going to tell you, if you are if you are one of those people who take the stage like I do in, in any form, even at your business, maybe you're a team leader. But if you do things that promote yourself. It can be disastrous. And again, if you're in this position, it's one of those things that I say is a really easy thing to do. Well, that's not the only thing that I have to be careful of. Because here's the thing. I have to be careful that I don't avoid certain topics from this stage. I have to be careful that I don't avoid certain topics, and I'm talking about topics that I know that you don't like or that you probably don't want to hear about. I mean, again, I'm going to say that this morning. That's something that the majority of pastors that I know personally, that's something that most of us struggle with. We just struggle with, you know, preaching certain sermons because we know that certain topics or certain messages or certain sermons are just, they're just something that you don't want to hear. And most of us who pastor, some of those are watching online right now who are not in their church this morning because their church is still not open. But most of us who pastor, what, of, what we've discovered is early in our ministry, there are just certain topics that people don't want to hear about. And that topic that is at the very top of every person's list is what? That's at the very top of most every person's list. 
Now, let me tell you why some people don't want to hear the church talk about money. Some people don't want to hear messages on money because there was a period of time that I can remember, because I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you this morning. When early in my ministry, Christian television was, was, was really impactful for me. It, it, it really honestly put me where I am today. But I can also tell you that Christian television, and I'm not singling out, but I, one of those that you probably know is TBN. I'm not saying they're, you know, I'm not saying anything negative necessarily about that, but I'm going to say this. I can remember as a, 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 a pastor, even before I was a pastor, I can remember watching and listening to certain Christian television shows, and I could watch a pastor or a church most of the time on television. And I saw these pastors and these churches manipulate the topic of money for their own personal gain. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I think we've all seen it. So, so when somebody manipulates the topic of money for their own personal gain, what does that do to the rest of us? That leaves the rest of us out here, and, and the rest of us who are pastors... We, we just struggled with the ability to even try to communicate because what these other people have done. We just avoided the topic because I didn't want to be lumped into the category where those other people existed, and those other people were the people who abused the topic of money. And they didn't want to talk about it. But let me tell you something that I've discovered over all, all the years that I've been in ministry. Generally, people don't like it when you talk about money because it might just be the most prevalent idol that we have in our society today. I think money might be the most prevalent idol that we have in our society today. And that's the reason why people don't want to hear about it. I mean, again, just think about it. Give, give that a little thought. It's the most prevalent idol in the lives of most of us in this room. And if you take that one step further, if there's anything that I've discovered, it's that, listen, listen, it's that people really don't like you messing with their idols. People really don't want you messing with their idols. So here's where the rubber meets the road. It really does. Unlike a lot of pastors who are fearful as it relates to talking about the topic of money, God does not share that same fear. God doesn't share the fear of talking and addressing money. As a matter of fact, in the Old and New Testament combined, the Bible speaks about money about 800 times. So if the Bible speaks about money 800 times, then what that tells us is that the subject of money is not a minor subject, but instead it is a major subject. And if we seek to be like Jesus, then we need to talk about money. Because listen to this, this will, this will probably rock your world. Jesus talked about money about 25% of the time in his ministry. 25% of the time, Jesus was addressing the topic of money. Now, there, there was a pastor who early on had a strong influence on this church and on my ministry. And he wrote a book called How to Be Rich. And that book is based off a series of messages that he actually delivered in his church in Atlanta. And, and just so that you know, just so somebody can get all the goodies here, right here, I'm stealing everything that he wrote in that book. Everything that he wrote in that book, because it's that good. And it's not just that good. It's a book, listen to me this morning, it's a book that you as a follower of Jesus or somebody who is even contemplating following Jesus, you need to get the book by Andy Stanley called How to Be.
be rich. It's that important. And in that book, he has one idea. He has one overarching idea. And here's the overarching idea that he has in that book, How to Be Rich. He says this. It's not about what you have, but instead, Andy Stanley says, it's about what you do with what you have. And it, start with, it starts with this premise that I have talked with you guys about for the, to the, for the entire 15 years of this church. The premise is this, we're rich. I don't care what you make per hour. I don't care who you are. Most of us in this room, we are rich even after this very crazy and this very unpredictable year. Now, 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 very few of you in this room and very few of you watching online or those listening online, many of you are not going to admit that you're rich, but most of you are rich. Let me, let me give you some stats. If you own a car, you're in the top 6% of wealth in all the world. And everybody got here how? Didn't anybody take an Uber here? You still got here in a car. Most of you came in a car. Most of you came in a truck. And I've seen some really nice cars in the parking lot. And I'm happy for you. So if you own a car, you're in the top 6% of wealth in the world. If you make $37,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of the wealth in the world. If you own a house, a home, you're in the top 3% of the wealth in the world. But you know what I can say without much reservation? Most of us in this room are in the top 1% of the wealth in this world. Because we live in the richest time, in the richest nation in history. I mean, most of us in this room are so rich, we only have to work five days a week. Think about that. We are so rich, we only have to work five days a week. I mean, when you think about that, that's crazy. We make so much money in five days. Now, think about this. You've never thought about it like this. We make so much money in five days that that money buys enough food and enough shelter and enough clothing and enough health care for seven days. Have you ever thought about it like that? Some of you are so rich that we have a household of four or five people, and we only send one of those four or five people out to work. That's how rich you are. Now think about this. We have a household of all these people, and we only send one person out to work, and with that one person's earnings... The entire family can amass enough money in the five days that that one person works that the entire family can live for seven days. Now, again, I know you haven't thought about that. But to most of the rest of the world, listen to me this morning, the thought of doing that in most cultures, is inconceivable. And when it comes down to it, we're uncomfortable with that. We're uncomfortable with being called rich. And here's the thing, I understand that. A couple of months ago, I went to the post office I had just been to Mr. B's car wash, wash, I'm sorry, wash, it does not have an R in it, I understand, okay, wash, it's so hard, and I can't say Deuteronomy or Tuesday right either, so anyway, I went to the car wash, vacuumed and cleaned my car, and went to the post office, I parked right in front of the post office. Now, for those that may not know, back last summer, I was on 440 in Nashville, and they had kept, before they opened it, well, when, right before they opened it all the way up, and they kept moving things around. I didn't realize that they had changed one of the on-ramps, and I thought it continued to go, and it ended, and there was a semi beside me, and I ran my Hyundai into the side of the semi, and the semi just kept going, but it totaled my Hyundai. So I drove it all the way back to Lebanon, 
I did. I literally never even stopped. I mean, I, I couldn't get out anyway because the door was bent in. And so I just said, you know what? I'm just going to drive it all the way back to Lebanon. I didn't want to look foolish, honestly. I was kind of embarrassed. So uh, I, I drove it back to Lebanon. I, I, I did roll down the mirror. I, I did roll down the window. The mirror was hanging off halfway down the door, and I reached up and just jerked it and put it in the floorboard. So I was like, I'm just going on. Traded the Hyundai in for a Suburban, 2019 Suburban, black on black on black. It's, a, it's just a fine piece of, uh, I mean, it's beautiful. <laughs> I've had five Suburbans. This is my fifth one. And I love it because it hauls people. If I want to come pick your family up for lunch and carry you out to lunch, I can do it. I can get eight or nine people in that thing. I can get a body in there if I, you know, I mean, I, I mean again, it, it works, ama- it does amazing things. But here's the thing. So I'd gone to the post office, and I pulled up in front of the post office. My car is shining like a diamond in a, anyway, it was pretty. And there I am parked, and this man comes out of the post office. And he was probably 85, pretty good size. You know, he was, I mean, he was not a little man, but he walks out. And I'm walking towards the post office door, and he walks out. And as he does, he stops And he looks at my Suburban. And he says to me, with people passing by, he said, that's an $80,000 vehicle. And I said, well, sir, I said, I I bought it used. You know, I mean, I was getting really uncomfortable. I said, I bought it used, so I didn't pay. He said, that's why would people spend $80,000 for a vehicle? I just don't understand it. I, I have there's no there's no there's nothing in my mind that makes me think why somebody would spend eighty thousand dollars. He said it's a beautiful vehicle, but that's a stupid amount of money to pay. <laughs> and I'm sitting there listening to this and listening and knowing that people are passing by and understanding what this guy is saying about me. And then he says, you know what? Good Lord, as my witness, he says, you'd have to be rich to afford a vehicle like that. And, and I'm about to crawl under the mulch beside the flagpole at the post office because I was so uncomfortable. This is the truth. Listen, listen, listen. Because I'm so uncomfortable with being labeled rich. And here's the thing. You're just as uncomfortable as I am with being called rich. But let me ask you a question. When you grew up, did you want to grow up to be rich? Come on. Honestly, we all grew up wanting to be rich. I mean, I mean, I remember when I was young, I would go over to somebody else's house, and at that time they had a huge playroom with a big stereo, but it was in this big old wooden box. You know, I mean, you remember how they used to do those? Had the turntable and all this stuff. I mean, I said, you know, here's what I'm going to do. When I grow up, I'm going to be rich enough where I can have a big stereo like that, having no idea that it was going to be the way it is now, and I'm going to have me a big playroom. Because when I grow up, I'm going to be rich. And isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how you want to grow up and be rich? But then when you are rich, you don't want to admit that you're rich. And you can deny it all you want. But all of us in this room, all of those watching online, all of us listening online, we're rich. And all of our lives are full of what I call rich people problems. Your flight gets delayed. Oh, we were going to Disney World and our flight got delayed. That's a rich people problem. (laughs) Oh, my computer, it's just not running like it used to. That's a rich people problem. I've got to go back to Publix this week to get some things I forgot that I didn't get the other day. That's a rich people problem. I'm so annoyed. I've got to stop this afternoon and fill up that Suburban, and it's going to cost a little more than it did six months ago. I'm going to tell you that. (laughs) But that's a rich people problem. 
Some of you right now are saying, you know what? I've got to go home this afternoon and clean out the garage. That's a rich people problem. I mean, think about it right now. Most people in the world don't even own a home, and you own a home for your car. That's a rich people problem. Gallup conducted a poll to see how different socioeconomic groups define the word rich. No surprises, as everybody who was polled had a different definition, but rich was generally about double the amount possessed by the person who was being asked. In other words, if they ask you what you thought your definition of rich was and you made $30,000 a year, then almost automatically the person who made $30,000 said, if I was going to be rich, I would be making $60,000. Those who made 60000 said to be rich, you'd have to make 120000 And we like to think that rich is never about us. But instead, rich is always about the other guy. Rich isn't just having extra. Rich is having as much extra as the person who has more extra than you do. That'll tie your tongue right there. Rich is really about having more than you currently have, right? Am I right? Rich is about having more than you currently have. So it tells me that you know what rich is? Rich is a moving target. And Andy Stanley says that the biggest challenge facing rich people is that they've lost their ability to recognize the simple fact, and the simple fact is this, that all of us in this room are rich. We've just failed to admit it and recognize it. And here's the thing. We can't learn to be good at being rich until we take the time to admit that we're rich. So that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to count to three. And you're going to say, I'm rich. This is like romper room. You know what I mean? That really dates me. You know, that really dates me. But I'm going to say it, and the louder you say it, the quicker we'll get this painful exercise over with. I'm rich at the count of three. Say it loud. I mean, scream it, and let's get it over with. One, two, three. I'm rich. Oh, you guys did great. I'm not even going to do that again. So that's what we do. We start by admitting that we're rich. But next, what we have to do, here's what we think. If we've admitted that we're rich, the next thing we have to do is ri with, as rich people is wrestle with this invisible dynamic that being rich doesn't just mean we decide what we're going to do with all our money. You have to concern yourself also with what your money's going to do to you or what your money is doing to you. L look at 1 Timothy 6. And I want you to read Paul writing this. I want you to read this with me because I believe this is probably one of the most important verses in all of Scripture to those of us who call Jesus our Lord and Savior. Paul writes it this way. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. That's us because we've already admitted it. Those who admitted it online, they, 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 they did the same thing you did. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So let's talk about what it looks like to be good. Not just to be good. Let's talk about what it looks like to be good at being rich. And let's take what Paul wrote. Because the very first thing that I saw in what Paul wrote in those verses just a moment ago is this. The very first thing Paul tells us as rich people, he says this. He says, don't be arrogant. That's the very first thing he says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. See, there's something really interesting about money. And there's something really interesting that comes with getting more money. We think that because we have more money, 
that we're going to be smarter. We think the more money that we can accumulate, the more money we make, then just the smarter we are. But here's the thing I would challenge you with this morning. Those two things, money and smartness, don't always go hand in hand, do they? Isn't it funny how many of us make more money than we ever thought was possible? And yet, at the same time, we're making more money than we ever have made. We feel more financial pressure than we've ever felt. Now, think about that. How smart is that? Because, again, right now, there are people who make half of what you make. And those people don't feel any financial pressure. They look at you and how much you make, and they think about you and your money, and they think, how could they still feel that kind of financial pressure? But we think that as we make more money, we're going to get smarter. We also think that as we get more money and we accumulate more money, we're going to be more important. You don't mean to think you're more important, but, but it happens. Doesn't it? it does happen, doesn't it? We, we think the more money we make, the more important we are. Don't be confused. Don't be confused. You're not necessarily more important or smarter or have more value to this world. Now listen to what I'm about to say. Your money is not who you are. Your money is just something that you have. So the first takeaway that I see from from what Paul wrote is he says, don't be arrogant. Here's the second takeaway that I see in this verse. The second thing that Paul tells us is don't trust our money. He says, don't trust it. The, The verse started out, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. But then I want you to look at what it says. It says, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. The more money you have, the easier it is for you to start to think that money is going to provide for you things that it really can't. I mean, think about it, the married people in the room this morning. Have you ever had a conversation with your spouse where you said, you know, if, if, if we were, if, if we make this amount of money, if we make this amount of money, but if we could make that amount of money, then our lives would be so much better. We make this amount, but if we can make that amount, then we wouldn't stress about money. We wouldn't fight about money. If we can make this amount of money, we'd have so much more peace in our relationship. But here's the thing. There are a few things that we worry about like we worry about money. We worry about how to make more, how to make it go further how to invest it, how to save it. And we start buying into the illusion that what I need to keep me from worrying about money is more money. If I can just make more money, I won't worry about money. And that's the illusion that we buy into. So we keep getting more and more money, and you know what we keep thinking about? More money. So if you're going to be good at being rich, And you're thinking about money. You just need to know. You can earn it. You can invest it. You can give it. You can look at it. You can even admire it if you really want to. But whatever you do, Paul tells us, don't put your trust in money. As a matter of fact, that that thought reminds me of a statement that Jesus made. And we find that statement in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Now, I want you to look at that. We're going to leave that up for just a minute until I'm ready for the next slide. That's a tension. You can't serve both God and money. 
And I want you to understand that that tension that you see in that verse is going to be there throughout the entirety of your life. I don't care whether you're 20, 30, or 85. That tension is going to exist in your life forever. Because see, here's the thing. Everything in me, everything inside of me, wants to lean on my money for my identity and my safety. But you know what Paul said in those verses? Don't lean on it. Don't buy into it. Don't trust it. Let me read it again. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But then look at what it says. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So what exactly is Paul saying? Well, here's the thing. This is the third takeaway that I think Paul is saying. Paul is telling you to understand that you need to know this. You just need to know this. Don't forget that your gift, your money is a gift. Everything that, that, that $80,000 suburban that I did not give $80,000 for is a gift. And you know what? I always have, treat, I have always treated my stuff, well, most of the time, I have treated my stuff as a gift. That's one of the things that I've been fortunate to do. So you know what's fundamental at being rich? You have to recognize the source. And that's what Paul is telling us. We need to put our hope in the source. I put my hope in Jesus. Why would you put your hope in the suburban? The suburban eventually is going to break down on you. Put your hope in the gift giver. That's what you need to do. Listen, the moment I forget it's, an all, it's all a gift, the moment I think I deserve a suburban, then that's the moment that I fail horribly at doing what Paul is asking me to do. I fail horribly at being rich. Now, let me tell you, listen, 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 because many of us are different in here. Being good at being rich doesn't mean that you have to feel guilty about what you have. But it does mean that you have to be grateful. We need to be grateful about the gifts that God has given us. Let's go back to the verse and continue. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. What's he saying there? It's the fourth thing that I think we take away from this verse. Don't think what God has given you is just for you. Don't think that it's just for you. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's what Paul is calling us to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you following me? He's saying we need to be generous and we need to be willing to share. Paul is saying, tell the rich people. I don't want them to be just average good citizens in the culture they're in. But Paul is saying, I want them to be rich in good deeds. I want them to spend time strategizing how they can actually bless others with what I bless them with. One of the most interesting parts of Andy's book, How to Be Rich, and let me tell you, I encourage you to get that. And if, if, let, me, let me just say this, even though we're talking about wealth and we're talking about rich and about, about being rich, if you can't afford that book and you want that book, if you come see me or send me an email, I'll buy that book and give it to you. But one of the things that Andy says in his book, How to Be Rich, was the research that he included about the early church. Because here's the thing. One, one of the most compelling arguments for the Christian faith is that it simply made it. 
One, one of the most compelling arguments for the Christian faith is simply that as a faith, we have survived. Because here's the thing, when you look at the building blocks of any kind of movement that has, you know, any sense of longevity, every one of those movements had building blocks that propelled that movement into the future. But when you look at those movements and you compare that to Christianity, Christianity has none of the building blocks that those other movements have. We have none of them. I mean, think about it. Those first followers of Jesus, those first century Christians, they were not organized. They had no buildings. They weren't even recognized by the government. For the first three centuries, those followers of Jesus, they remained completely powerless. They were persecuted politically. And they were tortured physically. And yet somehow, listen, listen. And yet somehow they continued to grow. But while Christianity didn't have any of those typical building blocks that we would see in a movement that had longevity, The movement of Christianity because of Jesus. That movement's appeal and influence can be traced back to one thing. And I want to show you what that was. That one thing is generosity. It wasn't their wealth. Because those early followers of Jesus, they didn't have anything. It wasn't their theology, Lord, now listen to this. It wasn't their theology because when you looked at their theology in that culture, it was just weird. What gave them leverage with other people outside of that faith was their compassion and their generosity. It was their generosity. Listen, oh, this is good. It was their generosity that made those early followers of Jesus impossible to ignore. Because see, here's the thing. During this time, in fact, throughout the entire Greek and Roman eras, the guiding principles on how to treat people, they were very different than they are today. In other words, if you were generous back then, if you gave, and again, that, that, that was a big if. But if you gave back then, you gave in order to get something back in return. The whole idea of generosity in that culture was find somebody who can do something for you, and you go to him and do something for him first. Because if you do it for him first, then that means that he's going to owe you. So consequently, the people who had the most received the most. As long as you had power and wealth, you had the hope of receiving that same thing from other people. But I want you to listen to me. This is what made it so tough for the orphans. And the widows. Because the orphans and the widows were penniless and powerless. But then came Jesus. Did you hear what I said? Then came Jesus. Look at Matthew 5. You know that the Hebrew Scripture sets this standard of justice and punishment. Take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say this, this is Jesus speaking. Don't fight against the one who is working evil against you. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, you're to turn and offer him your left cheek. 
If someone connives to get your shirt, give him your jacket as well. If someone forces you to walk with him for a mile, walk with him for two instead. If someone asks for you for something, give it to him. If someone wants to borrow something from you, do not turn away. You have been taught to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But I tell you this, love your enemies. Pray for those who torment you and persecute you. See, but then came Jesus. And Jesus has this style of generosity that's different. In essence, Jesus comes onto the scene and and Jesus is totally shifting the world's concept of what it means to love. So Jesus comes along and says things like we just read in Matthew chapter 5. And those early Christians, you know what they did? They listened to Jesus. They didn't just listen to Jesus. They listened to Jesus and they looked at things like Paul wrote in that verse that we looked at today. And they took the things of Jesus and they took the things of Paul. And they were very serious about those things. And those early followers of Jesus introduced the world. To a brand of generosity that the world had never seen. And those early followers of Jesus, whether you believe it or not, they changed the world and they continue to change the world with that brand of generosity. Let me tell you this morning, it happened once and I believe it can happen again. Because here's the thing, generosity continues to capture the attention of people all over the world. When we as a church come together and we give and we fund things outside of this church as well as in this church, when our generosity is seen in the community, you know what it does? It changes the community. It changes the world. And Crossroads, let me help you understand. We've gone through a year where during this past year, we've been able to do a few things with our community and through our community, but we have not been the church that we were in the past. And we've got to come back to the place that we were, not just where we were. We have got to exceed the place that we were pre-COVID-19. I'm not going to say this. I don't want you to to, to misunderstand me when I say this. I want you to mask up if that's what you want to do, to sanitize up, to wear a mask, a shield, whatever you need to do. Come in here wrapped in saran wrap. I don't care. And I'm saying this online, and somebody's probably going to give me heck about it, but to hell with COVID-19, right? I'm ready to move on. So I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to go before me, to go behind me, and to protect me in everything that I do. But we need to come back together as a church and to be generous so that we can do things here and outside of here that wins people to the Lord. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't personally need your money. God doesn't need your money. But he wants to see this principle active in your life. That's why he's blessed you with what he's blessed you with. Be willing to share and do for other people. Can I just tell you this this morning? You can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. I'm a testimony to that. That's the brand of generosity that we want. Why would we want that brand of generosity? Because we are the fortunate few. We're the fortunate few that Paul's talking about. We're rich. And if we're rich, then we need to start acting like we're rich. 
and we need to be generous with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning, please? God, it's never easy. It's never easy sometimes talking about some of the topics in Scripture. And money's one of those topics. I mean, some of these people haven't been here in almost a year, and they come back, and the preacher's talking about money. And I get it. And I understand it. But God, it's important to you. And you had no fear like us pastors fear. You addressed it, you talked about it, you brought it up. And the reason you addressed it and talked about it and brought it up was because you wanted us not to make money an idol. Give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. If we can just buy in and adhere to that principle, we will experience things in our life that we can only begin to imagine. God, this morning, can we ask you to strengthen, to empower, to direct us as it relates to what you've blessed us with. Help us be the people that you've called us to be. Let us take what you've given us and lay a portion of it back at your feet, knowing that you will multiply it and allow it to impact the lives of other people. As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name, amen.
it's a struggle, if it's a weakness, if it's your finances, if it's your dreams, if it's your ambition, give it to Jesus because he deserves it. See ya! care more about others than we care about ourselves. Let me thank you again for being here. It's so good to see many of your faces that I haven't seen in a while. And I'm excited that you're here, excited to be back. You're going to see us start to ramp things back up over the coming weeks. So we encourage you to be here, spread the word, uh, bring people with you, because again, we're excited with what God